Spotlights is a series of online events and publications focusing on a particular group of victim and survivors who are often hidden from services. As part of our spotlight on homelessness and domestic abuse, my colleague Deirdre has met with Aisha Sharif from Standing Together Against Domestic Violence. In her interview, Aisha talks about the pivotal role social housing providers play in identifying and responding to domestic abuse, and how the Domestic Abuse Housing Alliance ensures that all housing providers can support victims and survivors of domestic abuse. So, hi Aisha, thank you for joining me today to talk about homelessness and domestic abuse. Thank you, we're thrilled to be speaking to Safe Lives about the work that we do, so thank you. You're welcome. Um, today we're talking about the Domestic Abuse Housing Alliance, do you call it DAHA? Yes. Yep. Um, can you start out by telling me what it is? So DAHA is a partnership between three organisations, um, Standing Together Against Domestic Violence, Gen2, who are a large housing provider in the north of England, and Peabody, who are one of the oldest housing associations in the UK. Um, <coughs> their goal was to come together to look at housing sector's response to domestic abuse because we knew historically there had been a lot of gaps there um, and basically ensure that anyone experiencing domestic abuse within a, a social housing setting received a constant and reliable and effective response um, and they do and Daha do this through um, raising awareness through workshops through training um, through lobbying um, central and local government and through research and disseminating that across the sector. So it sounds like you're doing a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a little bit. Quite busy. <laughs> so why would you say that it's important for housing providers in particular to have an effective response to domestic abuse? Um, I mean, for us, I think if we look at the current picture in the UK, we know that um, domestic abuse is one of the leading reasons, particularly for women around women's homelessness, particularly around hidden homelessness. Yep. Um, Shelter released a report um, recently which highlighted, um, you know, a, a huge number of women who are sofa surfing, so not just street homeless, and um, nearly half of those women who they spoke to cited domestic abuse as a direct reason. We also know through other research um, recently released that. Um, for many women um, in social housing, um, many of them are being either forced or um, are not aware of their rights and are losing those um, secure social housing tenancies, which, you know, in terms of stability is a huge issue. So, um, you know, the link for us between housing and domestic abuse is so clear. Um, also, in terms of leaving the relationship in the first place, um, for, for most victims or survivors, um, you know, housing and where they're going to live, that's their number one, that's the first issue. Yeah. So um, for us, it's it's like a no-brainer. Um, yep. And also, you know, for, for us, and, and particularly for me, I think I've always felt that the housing sector is so uniquely and ideally placed 
to not only identify domestic abuse but also um, identify it early on, so before it reaches crisis point. I think if you look at other agencies, statutory or other rightwise in this country, there's no other agencies such as police, social services, even specialist support agencies that have that kind of access into people's homes. Yeah. Um, you know, often the police or um, health services get involved with people when things have reached crisis point or a point where, um, you know, a victim or survivor has um, been really badly harmed, whether that be emotionally or physically. And I think with housing, you know, the proximity, the close proximity that most housing providers have with their residents means that they're in such a brilliant position to offer support and identify um, a lot earlier on. Yeah. I, I could hear a housing provider say, I'm not an expert in domestic abuse, how would I respond? How do, how do you help them around that issue? Um, I mean, that's one of the key factors. I think, um, you know, many housing providers are unaware of their role. You know, many people are only aware of statutory duties, which, are, you know, like your local authorities in terms of, um, you know, rehousing victims. But actually what we do is provide really um, practical and common sense ways of supporting survivors. So it might be something really simple like, you know, training all your frontline officers on the signs of domestic abuse within a property. It might even be um, making sure that you establish like routine inquiry in your service because yep. it's so common um you know and also just really simple things like making sure that they know the national um, domestic violence helpline number so that they can you know give that to um, people who may come forward or linking them up with local IDFA services I mean there's you know there's so much for housing to do I think you know a lot of the time we talk about um you know making safer communities and making our communities kind of happy and thriving and I think housing is is the cornerstone of any community so yeah. it's about encouraging the housing providers to look around their communities and see what resources exist for some of their more vulnerable residents so it's about early intervention Definitely. it's about identification yeah. and then having a good response yeah. and then linking up to those in the community who can provide a expert More, response. Absolutely. That sounds good. <laughs> so one of the ways I noticed that you do that is through helping housing providers get a certain accreditation Yeah, that's called the National Domestic Abuse Service Standards. That's right. So those are eight standards and they range from things like policy and procedure to, you know, how inclusive or um, accessible your service is. So it's yeah. quite broad, but um, it's kind of like minimum eight areas that we felt were really important for any housing provider to achieve um i mean what's great now is we've developed an online resource tool which is free for housing providers to access where they can actually look at their own progress and their response um, and they can you know have access to kind of like there's policies there's lots of best practice on on the website and they can see kind of how close they are to achieving that those eight standards and if they feel that they um, are really close, you know, we can come in and kind of have a look and check, you know, that they've done the work properly um, and they can achieve accreditation really simply. You know, if they feel that actually there is some work to do and a lot of provi- for a lot of providers, particularly the larger ones, there will be work to do. It might, might take them a bit longer. You know, we can um, provide support with that, including um, workshops, which um, are fund- currently funded by London Council, so free for housing providers to attend um, um, you know all the way through to like 
designing sort of like bespoke training and um, policies and procedures for them. So, you know, it's an it's an in depth um, process, but one that I think is really really simple and easy to engage with. How do you make it attractive to housing providers? I mean, some of them, hopefully, a lot yeah. of them want to have a good domestic abuse response, but how do you track okay. others? So, I mean, for housing providers, I think it's, you know, it's really important, one for us, and, and that's the benefit of, of us having, um, you know, coming from a housing, coming from the housing sector is that we understand the concerns. Um, you know, one of the issues, obviously, for us is, you know, two women a week are still killed as a result of domestic abuse. So, you know, that in and of itself is something that we definitely speak to housing providers about. But, you know, aside from that, in terms of, like, putting forward the business case, um, at the moment, um, Gen 2 and Safe Lives are um, developing a report um, which looks at the financial costs to housing associations or housing providers. And the results are quite... Um, Shocking, actually. Um, you know, just kind of like some of the preliminary findings <laughs> are, um, you know, the, the void cost. So, you know, a, a property that um, was inhabited by someone experiencing domestic abuse will almost be six times more expensive to relet to okay. another resident. So, you know, in terms of um, the business case, you know, we know that... Um, people who experience domestic abuse are seven times more likely to be in significant arrears, mm-hmm. um, which means, you know, they're not paying their rent, which means the housing provider not getting getting that income. So, you know, even, you know, the kind of like the business side of looking at why housing providers should have a robust response to domestic abuse are there. So we definitely speak about, you know, those kind of issues as well. Great. So a housing provider gets this accreditation. What yes. kind of improvements have you seen in practice? Yeah, I mean, I think the improvements are, are immense, really. Um, like I said, you know, even around in terms of um, tenancy sustainment. So, um, you know, when I worked for a housing provider, and I know that it's the same with Gen 2 and Peabody, we've seen... Um, a huge increase in in residents being able to sustain their tenancies so that means um you know less sort of transient communities because people aren't being forced to flee their properties they're being supported to stay in them um you know a lot more support around understanding people's needs if they need to be moved and 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 you know making sure that people are supported around that um when i was working for a housing provider we actually established um a fund for survivors when they needed to leave or if they needed to have a managed move and that was about paying for the cost of their removals the benefit to them being that they could move really quickly and, and it was and it was pretty much stress-free and then the benefit to the business meant that you know they could recoup that empty property and and, and re-let it again um you know, for, for the for survivors, um, you know, the benefits are having things like emergency systems in place, you know, in case their property is broken into or um, or damaged. You know, we've we saw um, an improvement of something, I think something around two weeks to four hours. So mm. that was where, you know, um, a perpetrator had damaged someone's door, i.e. forced entry. And I think, you know, which is common practice, which is to ask for, like, police crime reference numbers before housing providers make those repairs. But obviously, once you start raising awareness around domestic abuse and the barriers to survivors um, approaching police and, and getting those those reports, the housing providers 
start to understand and then they can put in place their own you know procedures around that and make sure that survivors are being made safe a lot earlier and a lot more a lot better so it begins with believing them absolutely I think you know that's something that is that's a strand that runs through everything we do which is kind of you know key principles that we want to see housing providers adhere to and one of those definitely is believing them and having a non-judgmental approach um, making sure your service is inclusive and accessible so you know not whether that's you know linking with with other partners to make sure that you know um, people from different communities feel that they can access and use your services um and also, you know, making sure that staff are really aware of the reality around domestic abuse and are not kind of buying into those um, Daily Mail articles that, you know, <laughs> are everywhere about, you know, which is a reality and a lot of people do believe, which is a lot of people make up domestic abuse maybe to move or to get a property. So it's just about making sure that we, you know, raising awareness to challenge those myths and those those um, misconceptions around domestic abuse um, and I think that's where you see the most change once the, the, the attitudes change towards domestic abuse the behaviour almost follows you yeah. know um, and for survivors that's priceless you know making sure you know again a lot of survivors they may never go to the police they may feel uncomfortable to tell maybe their workplace or even go to doctors but you know if they're in um a house if they're in you know social housing property then you know there's lots of touch points that they will have with either their housing officer or you know gas engineers or you know people that are in and out of their lives every other day um you know and it's about making sure that housing providers use those opportunities or understand why they should use those opportunities yep. to support um vulnerable residents and i guess if you work within an organization that you feel has quite a negative attitude towards domestic abuse of blaming or not believing it would be hard for you to disclose absolutely have you had any increases in disclosure amongst staff yeah um i mean one of the highlights for me when i was working at um at at the housing provider was initially when i started there the service was solely for residents Mm -hmm. um you know as a result of that of um staff seeing how well we supported survivors how much we believed them staff began to came to come forward and disclose and in one year we actually had seven staff disclosures Mm -hmm. and i know um Gen 2 and Peabody in particular have definitely have, you know, um, significant numbers of staff coming forward and making disclosures. So is it a part of their accreditation to have an internal domestic abuse policy as well? Yes. I mean, for us, that's vital. I think I read today, actually, that um, domestic abuse costs the UK economy something like 1.6 billion in, in, like, lost employee hours and things like Mm. that. So, you know, I mean, even sort of looking at it from a cold, you know, sort of point of view is that. And I think, you know, internally, um, for most, you know, HR would be unaware, maybe, of how much of an impact domestic abuse would have on their staff. Yeah. You know, I remember one case where we had um, a woman in a really prominent and quite high-powered position within the organisation who disclosed domestic abuse to me. 
and that was so um, telling because she knew well she felt that because of the stigma associated with domestic abuse mm. um, that it would be really hard for her to you know to sort of like say it openly and because we had an internal policy and procedure at that point it was able to be dealt with one really quickly and really sensitively yeah um, you know which is is vital in terms of you know one for the survivor and their mental health and also being able to maintain like financial independence but then also you know for the business they don't lose good members of staff and then also actually if they have perpetrators you know it's about how they tackle them as well because unfortunately as you know as much as we'll have survivors that we're working alongside you know in most organizations you will have perpetrators as well yeah definitely so never fun yeah yeah no I think that's one of the realizations that we had when I was working in hospitals in Idva is the number of staff members who actually come forward as well yeah it is it is it is and I think you know it's definitely those are the sectors that people kind of um I don't like to think about it but it is there and it's yeah it's about having a really good response you know for everyone yeah it's everyone exactly we might have practitioners listening, housing providers yes. who might not be at a decision level where they can say, let's make this step, but they want to improve their individual practice. What's your advice to them about how they can better respond to a survivor? Um, I mean, I would say, you know, just definitely, if somebody discloses, believe them. You know, if you have um, concerns, believe yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's always better to share that information safely, of course, um, rather than hold on to it. You know, domestic abuse is so common. Um, I think definitely just building it into routine inquiry can never hurt. I think when we did that, we realised that we did a pilot for about a week and we realised when we built it into just asking everyone that we came in contact with, over 70% of people we spoke to were experiencing domestic abuse and those were people who were in significant rent arrears, so £1,000 or more. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely something they can do. Also, realising domestic abuse is not just physical. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you know that... Um, someone is being um, verbally abused or financially abused or, you know, coerced and controlled, you know, not kind of um, dismissing the fact that that all that's going on just because the person might not be physically violent. Mm. Um, you know, making sure that the message is out there, raising, um, you know, knowledge and awareness of domestic abuse, why it's so important, and also, you know, just familiarising yourself with local support. There's so much um, specialist support services out there, and it's just about, you know, making sure you know and understand and then being able to give that information really quickly to someone who may only have told you. Yep. And it sounds like making connections in their head between domestic abuse and other issues is really important. Like, you talk a lot about significant rent arrears. Yeah. um, And not just jumping to judgment, but to think, why is that happening? Absolutely. That is is probably the best question to always ask yourself as a a frontline housing provider, um, which is just why. Why, you know, why are there smashed doors? Why does this person always want a new lock every other month? Why are there holes in the walls? Why are they in renters? You'd absolutely ask those questions, and uh, you know where where you can share that safely, make, and and also you know making links and making sure you know what the marak is. <laughs> yeah. You know, making links to them because sometimes, and and a lot of the time, actually, with housing providers, 
we are the missing piece of that puzzle you mm-hmm. know there may be um, concerns from neighbours around noise and it may be described as antisocial behaviour mm. um, and actually all it takes is for us to kind of scratch the surface and we realise this isn't antisocial behaviour or t- troubled families or you know whatever that tag is it's actually domestic abuse so it's it's so vital so not looking at things in isolation yeah absolutely and also um you know you know having a robust response to domestic abuse means that we're able to look at perpetrators as well Mm. and not just you know constantly re-victimize um, women who you know may actually be victims of domestic abuse themselves but actually also shifting the blame to the perpetrators who might be coming to the property and causing damage causing noise um you know we know that um in properties where there's domestic abuse they're almost i think like four times more likely to also um experience antisocial behavior so mm-hmm. you know it just kind of shows again the links between a lot of um you know associated issues and domestic abuse so having that robust service and response to domestic abuse is actually you know can help in other areas as well great thank you very much that's all really interesting good. sounds like you're doing really good work hopefully we try yeah great thank you thank you Thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more about Safe Life Spotlight on domestic abuse and homelessness, please go to our website, safelives.org.uk, where we will be uploading new content every week from different experts between the 7th of August through to the 15th of September. And we want to hear from you. We need your views, experiences and practice or tips. So join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag SafeAtHome and get involved on the Safe Lives community. Thank you.